1: The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 25th, the exclusive besties edition. I'm Dan Kois. I'm an editor at Slate and the author of the forthcoming How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. Rebecca is out this week. She will be back next week. But I am delighted to reintroduce this podcast's new exclusive bestie, our new full time third host, Jamila Lemieux. Hi, Jamila.
3: Hi, yay, I'm so excited to be here, y'all. Um, I am Jamila Lemieux. I am a writer, editor, occasionally a communication strategist, and most importantly, mother to Naima, who is six.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm very, very happy you're here. Today on the show, we've got a question from a parent about a pair of best friends who are maybe getting a little too tight. And a question about teaching your kids about racial slurs, plus triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or a fail today?
3: Uh, So I am, I'm struggling with where I want to file this. It's... Ultimately going to be a triumph right now. It's feeling like a fail. Um, My family is in the middle of a move from Los Angeles, excuse me, from New York, uh, Brooklyn specifically, to Los Angeles. My ex, his wife, their son, and our daughter um, departed about two weeks ago for L.A., and I am going to be joining them in a home of my own where our daughter will, uh, you know, spend much of her time in about a month. And the fact that it's taken me longer to get out there is feeling like a feel. So it's feeling like a, a fail. Like, I'm proud of all of us for being mature enough to agree to a cross-country joint move and how we've co-parented all these years and everyone being friends. But when, you know, my little baby calls and says, Mommy, I wish, you know, I wish you were here and I miss you. I can't help but to feel like it's a fail.
1: Yeah, that's like a primal so It's, it's a win
3: that's pending. It's a primal feel.
1: Yeah, it feels like it. You talked a little bit about the insane logistics of what you guys are doing this summer uh, in the plus segment when you joined us last month. Um, And it sounds like it's all happening uh, just at like not the speedy pace that you might hope when the result is that you're separated from your kid for a long time.
3: Well, this was, you know, the plan was always that they were going in July and that I was coming at the end of August. So, you know, I, I, I'm not off schedule yet, but I, I don't think that the reality of us spending most of the summer apart had quite hit me until, you know, we were sending most of the summer apart. Right.
1: Now, at some point, you'll be like, you'll be trying to send your kid to camp for six weeks to like get the summer apart from her. But it might be sort of harder to sell to yourself, A, when she's still so little and B, when it's not like you've sent her to an exciting camp. It's just that she's in L.A. where you're supposed to live, but you're not there
3: yet. Right.
1: Uh, All right. Well, I have a lot of faith that that is going to turn into a triumph once you get there. Um, And I expect that you are going to report back once that happens and once you feel fully and properly triumphant about how this has all worked out. But, yeah, right now this is really tough. Um, Do you try to do – like what's your preferred mode of communicating across the country? Do you do phone calls, Skype calls? texting like what does she like to do with you
3: so it's interesting um for you know most of her life we you know especially before she was a reader we typically did facetime um, when we were apart so even if she was on the other side of the neighborhood you know and it it just wasn't my day or it wasn't dad's day you know she would facetime with the other parent and so now that she can read and pick up you know find memes and gifts to me (laughs) she loves to she loves to text from uh, her iPad or from her dad or stepmother's phone. So I've gotten some very funny messages the other day. I said, you know, she was texting me and I said, call me. And she said, no, I just want your money, mommy. And I was like, what? Wow. Where did you even get this from? You don't ask me for money. Like, she seems you know. advanced. She's very advanced. <laughs> She's very advanced. But, um, you know, she called me uh, the last couple of days in a row, which was really nice. I mean, it, as much as I like to see her face. Um, you know, it, it it is sometimes challenging to stop everything that you're doing and hold the phone and look at it uh, to have a Facetime call. So the fact that I've you know been able to move around the house or or get work done while being on the phone with her at length, and you know, hearing that she's six and super articulate and can tell me all about what's going on at camp and and you know in her new life without. It just being reliant on, you know, me looking at her and saying, she's so cute. And her saying, oh, I can see my mommy. I feel better. But they were actually having a conversation. That's pretty cool.
1: That is. I feel like the the triumph you should attempt to work out over the next month is truly teaching the six-year-old how to talk on the phone, a skill yes. that is lost among many children in the year 2019.
3: Absolutely.
1: Uh, all right. your So your fail feels general uh, to your sort of whole life. My fail is uh, just very, very specific uh, and un- and unbelievably stupid um so what have you done I was uh I was out this weekend on a road trip with Harper, my younger daughter. I'll talk more about that road trip later. but on the first night of this road trip, we stopped for dinner at this like little roadside joint in like Frederick, Maryland or something and it was just this little mm-hmm. family run place with, uh, like, Mexican food and Salvadoran food, and but also, like, pizzas and sandwiches and salads, the, like, typical, like, everything but the kitchen sink menu. And we got there right before closing. Um, and so the staff, like, really wanted us to hurry up and order so they could get the food out and finish cleaning up and go home. Now, Harper is a vegetarian, which means that sometimes it can be a challenge for her to order at some restaurants and sort of the more like basic a restaurant is, sometimes the harder it is for her because they all, you know, they have hot dogs and sausages and whatever, and she doesn't eat those. Um, Usually she's happy with like a quesadilla or a taco or something, but for whatever reason that night, she didn't want those things. Um, She wanted something different. So she was like running through the menu and everything that she landed on was just not quite right. She was like, well, I'll just have a cheese pizza Uh, but the pizza would take too long and they wanted to close up. So I said, no, no, not the pizza. And she said, I'll have the vegetarian sandwich, but then it had a bunch of vegetables on it that she doesn't actually really like. And finally, she just said, you know what? I'll just have a salad. And then she looked at the menu and she goes, dad, what's a chef salad? And here is Uh where I will point out something about myself that listeners to the podcast maybe have already ascertained, which is that sometimes... When I don't know the answer to a question, I just make up an answer and I assume that it'll be fine. Either that I'm mm-hmm. right or that it doesn't really matter that much whether I'm right or wrong. Uh, right. The, the writer Dave Barry has referred to this uh, in his column as uh, male answer syndrome. I definitely know it is endemic to men of a certain age and demographic, um, but so I and I definitely suffer from it. I, you know, what if someone mm-hmm. asks me a question and I don't know the answer? I am perfectly fine just bullshitting something and seeing what happens. Um, so you know, the clock was ticking, and the very nice lady at the counter was just like waiting patiently for us to order, but they clearly wanted to get out of there. And I heard Harper ask this question. And it just turns out that I've never ordered a chef salad before and I Mm -hmm. didn't know what it was. So I just said, you know what, Harper, I'm sure it just means, you know, it's like a basic salad with like cucumbers and tomatoes and lettuce or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, it turns out that is not what a chef salad is. Uh, I'm
3: like, wait, before I'm sitting here racking my brain because I'm like, conf- I'm like, oh, you don't know? Yes. It? I'm not I'm the only one. it with the Cobb salad. But I have a guess. Uh, I have a guess. If I'm not mistaken, it contains olives and ham.
1: Uh, it does contain ham. And okay. in this case, turkey. It basically is like a regular salad with uh, a bunch of meat on it, um, uh, which is the opposite of what Harper wanted out of her salad. Uh, and she was not happy and justifiably so she was not happy. I had really betrayed her in this case, uh, when she looked to me for knowledge. So like, whatever we picked up, we picked off most of the meat, um, and she ate some of it. And like, I gave her my pupusas, which were bean and cheese and that was fine. But still like the fact that I can never learn that I'm allowed to say in answer to a question. Oh, I don't know. Let's look it up on this device I have in my pocket that's connected to a whole worldwide web of information Uh, never fails to boggle my mind. And this time it um, ruined my daughter's dinner and once again reminded her that I'm a buffoon. But whatever. she She needs to learn that lesson over and over again, I suppose.
3: Well, you you took her on a road trip and it was just the two of you, which is great. You know, I often wonder how the logistics of the multiple children thing works and so that you all have that time together I think is, is a win. And also, we don't have to know anything anymore. Dan, just Google. it. <laughs> I should have like, just I've googled just it. I've given up. Just Google it. I've, I've literally given up trying. You know, right. like I'll say, I don't know. Let's look it up together. Because sometimes that also gives me a pass to, like, oh, I can respond to a text message and look at my email <laughs> during family time. You know. But also that that you know, getting her in the habit of understanding that mommy doesn't know everything, but we can find nearly everything.
1: I'm still very married to the idea that daddy knows everything, even though that's so patently not the case. Uh, I just find it delightful to be a font of wisdom. Um, but when it turns out the wisdom is inaccurate most of the time, maybe I should rethink that a little bit. I will talk a little bit more about the logistics of that road trip, uh, later in our recommendations section, because the, this fail did occur in the midst of what I think of as a larger weekend long triumph. All right. Before we move on to our listener questions, let's talk some business. Please sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It is the best place to be notified about all the stuff that Slate.com publishes on the subject of raising wonderful children or horrible children, if your children are horrible. But you can find out about Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Care and Feeding, our parenting advice column, including columns written by Jamila Lemieux, um, and all our other content. Plus, Every week, it's just like a little email that I write and send to 2,500 of my closest friends. Um, usually, it includes at least one stupid joke. Please sign up, slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or you can email us at slate.com. And please check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a great community. It is now 10,000 members strong, but we moderate it so it doesn't get totally out of control. I just booted some asshole today. This week I posted on the Facebook page the complete list of 100 books that I made for Lyra this summer, the 100 books for a very ambitious teenage reader. Uh, And the post itself has become a really great repository of other people's book recommendations as well. So come join us. Search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. On Slate Plus today, we're talking about Jamila's experience as a parenting advice columnist at Karen Feeding on Slate.com. She's going to tell us all about what she's learned, what she's been surprised by, the worst advice she's given so far, and more. Here is a sneak preview of what you'll get. Do you see any, like, common thread in all of these questions that you receive? Why do people write into a parenting advice column and what are they looking for? To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program. It is a great way to support all the work that we do. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting, plus your other favorite Slate shows, and in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate podcasts, plus tons of other great benefits. If you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, Onward. we've got two listener questions today here's our first one it was emailed to us at mom and at please feel free to email us your queries this question is being read by the one the only shasha leonard
0: dear mom and dad are fighting my four-year-old daughter is easygoing funny and has a bit of a feisty in a good way streak we recently moved to a new town we've been here almost a year now My daughter has been unflappable and has adjusted well. This is the time when you start doing playdates and the kids start choosing their own friendships, more or less. We were excited to see her make friends and try to support the friendships she has made. She plays with lots of different kids at her preschool, and we make plans where she plays with different kids outside of school, too. One girl and my daughter have sealed a strong friendship where they truly love playing together, and they do refer to each other as besties. They are really infatuated with each other right now, so much that I have started getting worried that they are exclusive. I spoke to their teacher about it. She said that they were not mean and did play well with other kids, but did clearly really like each other, and that was okay. Sometimes she separates them at meals so they can focus on eating things and functioning. When I see them outside of school, and especially when they end up in threes, they do leave other kids out whether they are being mean or just getting carried away with each other. Other kids do end up feeling bad. I do talk to my daughter about it, and I've been picking up some books that talk about these feelings just so she can build some empathy for the situation. I am hypersensitive and overthink a lot, but I am obsessing about these two, even though their friendship is pretty cool. How far do I let things go and work themselves out? Should I be intervening and making them include other kids when they play more overtly in the midst of it all? Is it overkill to warn parents that join us that we are working on being inclusive? Thanks.
1: Their friendship is really cool. You are absolutely right about that. So let's start with that. So these girls are only four years old and things Mm -hmm. change fast at this age. But I'm really, really glad that your daughter has this special person in her life. And I'm really, really glad that they get along so well. That's totally great. And not every kid has that at different stages of life, especially not when you've only been in town for a year. Like that is a a great and wonderful thing. I don't think it is your job to intervene every time your, your daughter is in a group of kids and she's playing in a focused way with her bestie. I don't think that does anyone any good for you to be like parachuting in every five seconds to be like, oh, what about little Cezanne over there? Shouldn't you play with her? You say um, that you're worried about other kids feeling bad even though your child's teacher has told you that she doesn't see your child or or her bestie being mean in any way. You're worried about the sort of bad feelings that come from just sort of uh, like ambient – the ambient exclusionary nature of two kids being totally into one another and focusing a lot of their attention on each other. In my experience, four-year-olds playing in groups, the larger the group, feel bad almost all the time. Like they also have a lot of fun, but also they get very upset, completely outraged, totally indignant like a thousand times an hour. And so I just think that like trying to um, defend against every possible instance of Every child on the playground feeling bad is fighting a losing battle. One of my most uh, vivid memories ever of parenting uh, occurred when my daughter was four, my older daughter, Lyra. And she and her two good friends, Sophie and Katya, were playing at a playground. And all the parents were, like, at a picnic table hanging out. And the three girls had gone away, uh, like, into a different part of the playground and we were marveling at how well they were playing together, and there wasn't any drama between these girls and neither none of them felt bad about anything and then at that exact moment, uh they all came running in like this staggered line with Sophie in the lead looking just very, very nervous and upset and then Lyra right behind her looking completely outraged, just like furious like you know like. She had stuck her hand in a in a hive of hornets. And then uh, right behind both of them, Katya screaming at the top of her lungs, don't tell them, don't tell them. <laughs> and that was like in the end, though they became very close friends now in adolescence, when they were four, their basic interactive mode was someone was constantly enraged at all times. And often all three of them were. And so if you, this letter writer, have a kid who your kid loves and loves being with and doesn't fight all the time and the teacher says they're not being mean to anyone, I say just like treasure it. What do you think, Jamila?
3: I am inclined to agree. Um, I'd add I'm suspecting that this little girl is an only child. And the bond, you know, as someone who is the only child in in my house, um, I, I can say that the bond that you find with your first, you know, little friend or one of your first little friends can be like a sisterhood, you know, or, or can provide you some of that sibling experience that you, you may be craving. And It's not always hard to, I'm sorry, it's not always easy to make friends when you're four years old, you know, that you found this bond, like you said, Dan, with somebody and you've just moved to town, you know, I'd worry less about how other kids are being excluded by it and, and just about managing these little girls' expectations of one another. Yeah. um, That they are given the space to make other friends, that they don't feel like they can't play with other kids, or if they want to do something that doesn't include their bestie, that they're not betraying them in some way. Um, And, you know, of course, continue to encourage them to be mindful of other children, you know, if there's someone who's playing by, you know, him or herself, that these two, you know, that they're not creating... The, the modern day mean girls click and and being picky about who can be in their space, but they're, they're the ones that are kind and empathetic and say, hey, you know, we see you're by yourself. Do you want to come play with us? Um, my daughter has a bestie. Uh, she's now they're both six now. They've been friends since they were two. Um, unfortunately, they are currently separated by distance. Um, but that relationship, I- I've watched it grow and evolve and change and expand to include other people. And, and, you know, they they fight like sisters and they think about each other constantly. And, you know, this child, even though she isn't often in our physical presence at home, you know, outside of school, but she's not far away from our thoughts. And, you know, it, it's an amazing thing. And, and it's a relationship that I and, and her parents, you know, that we want to continue to, nurture and pour into I've had my oldest friend we met when we were five you know and, and to this day we're, we're still tight so I think that this is a good thing and it's a good thing to have a child that's capable of making friends
1: and it's great I agree that it's great that you the parents are thinking about and keeping an eye on the situation and and that it's important to you that your child feels empathy and and isn't exclusionary in her friendship I love the idea, Jamila, of sort of posing to both these girls. Hey, you know, you guys are a team and one thing that your team can do is if you see someone who's lonely or who doesn't have anyone to play with, you can go together to that person and work together to make them feel happier or feel better. Like that's a great way to help avoid any kind of exclusionary feelings, you know, in a a smaller group. And if your job as a parent isn't to intervene in the moment – on the playground or wherever, what is your job? I think your job is to watch and observe and wait, and then to do your best to foster this friendship and and as Jamila noted, to um, to make sure that this friendship doesn't become something that makes either of them feel bad, to make you know make sure that they're not feeling bad on the occasions that they do do things with other kids, that they don't view it as a betrayal, but also to foster all the other ones that are out there in the world that she has already or that she could have. Don't make it her job to be constantly thinking about how this friend fits in with her larger friend group. Make it your job to just make sure that she's surrounded by a lot of friends and acquaintances and That's easy to do at age four. You can invite people over for play dates. It it doesn't require her stepping out and doing that. You can invite parents over with their their kids to come over and everyone hang out together. You're new into town. You may need some friends too. I don't know if you have a bestie yet, but it might be nice for you to find one as well. So outside of this little duo that, have, that has developed, you have the opportunity to sort of make sure that the world around that duo is also surrounded by other friendly faces and so – your daughter has the chance to interact with these people as often as possible uh, in one-on-one situations and isn't forced to make a choice. Oh, do I play with my best friend or do I play with this other person? She'll have plenty of chances to do that on playgrounds or wherever, but make sure that she also has chances to just play with other people now and then on other one-on-one bases.
3: I'll, I'll just say again, I think it, it's really commendable you know, that your little one and this other little one are – were capable to find each other. You know, I, I was so shy at that age that my mom oftentimes had to walk up to kids on the playground and say, hey, this is Jamila. Do you want to play with her? You know, um, and there's certainly other kids in, in their classroom situation that, you know, may want to have a bestie and have that sort of bond with someone and just don't, you know, have the, the same comfort and confidence it takes to be vulnerable and, and vocal with somebody at four years old. So, You know, this is a good thing. This isn't, this is not, you know, you you haven't said, yes, there have been moments of other children feeling left out, but for the most part, you know, these two are not, it sounds like they're a dynamic duo, not twin terrors. Yes. And I, I, we celebrate that.
1: Uh, Also, it is overkill to warn parents that join us that you are working on being inclusive. I don't think you need to get into it. I think you can just be inclusive. It's cool. Just do it. Just be cool. Play it cool. Okay. Play it cool. Uh, All right. Thank you. Uh, Once again, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, email us at com. Here is another question, once again, read by the estimable Shasha Leonard.
0: Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. My five-year-old son called a boy darky, and I don't know what to do. A few days ago, he had decided to name one of his black stuffed Star Wars toys that name, so I know he had to come to it innocently enough. At the time, I was more concerned he would say to a friend or a teacher something along the lines of, I like to play with Darkie at home, and then I would have some explaining to do. My husband took the kids to the pool, and an older African-American boy was pushing and splashing water on my son. My husband wasn't watching that closely, and I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure all that transpired, but as my husband explained it, he looked up to see my son punching the other boy. And by the time my husband could get there, the other boy's mother had also come up to break the fight. My son, in his fit, yelled darky at the boy. I know this comes from a mix of ignorance— My five year old's inability to regulate his emotions and just enough knowledge to use the word in a mean way. After our kids got out of the pool and calmed down, our son and the other boy apologized to each other. I have so many feelings about this, and I also feel lost about what to do. In the short term, how do I explain to a five year old that this term is beyond just a bad word? And how do I face his mother? She's a personal trainer at the gym where the pool is, and her son attends summer camp with my daughter. So between gym and pickup and drop off, I see her in passing weekly, if not more often. Do I address it? Do I continue to smile and say hello as if nothing happened? And in the long term, how do I make sure this doesn't happen again and my kids understand why it can't? I try to talk to my kids often about their privilege and about social inequality. I try to read books and watch shows where the protagonists are not white. I try to explain the dark parts of American history and why we need to work for equality. But obviously it's inadequate. I always thought I would be able to expose them to more people who looked differently by involving them in a variety of activities. But I'm finding that even those activities aren't any more diverse than their schools. Thanks for any thoughts on this. I feel like I'm doing this parenting thing all wrong.
3: Whew, girl. Whew. Where do I start? That's a lot. Um <laughs> okay, so I am confused, um or curious I should say, as to where a five year old in two thousand nineteen would hear the word darky. Um, particularly uh with At least one parent who says that she's very committed to talking to him about racial equality and exposing him to, you know, positive representation of people of different backgrounds. That is like from the deep cuts of racism. That's very TBT racial slur. I have never, I've certainly been called the N-word in my life, but I've never been called a darkie. You say that he quite innocently named his Star Wars plush toy darkie, but I wonder, particularly uh, for a socially conscious mother, why that nickname was not deemed inappropriate when you first heard it. Even if you weren't equipped to or interested in or or felt it necessary to give your child the complicated history of the word darky, which on its face should sound like something innocent that we could call a plush toy or a black cat or, you know, a puppy, that it's not something that you would want to call uh, anyone or anything and that it's a word not to be used. That makes no sense to me. So you you have to, you know, you close the letter saying, I feel like I'm failing at this parenting thing. I'm the worst. You're not failing. You're not the worst, but you made a mistake. And, and I would like for you to own that. That said, I'm also curious as to how we go from, I've got this stuffed toy. It's dark. I call it darky to I'm angry at the black kid at the pool and there are not a lot of black kids in my life and so at, at the first transgression or, you know, maybe not the first transgression but in this moment, I'm so upset with him that I call him Darkie and that he was observed... Hitting this boy and calling him darkie. You say that he's older. Your child is five. So I don't know if if this kid was ten, if he's seven, you know, if he's significantly older or if he's, you know, practically a peer um and and splashing a smaller child is not something that he should have done. And I do wish that, you know, your husband or his mother or some other adult had observed that and, you know, addressed it right away so it didn't escalate to the next level. But, Again, I'm curious, Um, and and you have something to address, that your child has, you know, either quite innocently, um, and I say innocently because he is five, so he's either, for the second time, accidentally landed on the worst possible word choice, imaginable, short of the um, N-word, in reference to a person or inanimate object that is darker than him, or Because he's heard someone use this word, decided that the best way to defend himself against uh, uh, an African-American child who has made him upset is, you know, with physical violence. And again, the boy was splashing him. We don't know who hit first. I I won't infer too much into that. But that he called this child darky says something. The fact that you gave the doll a pass, you know, the stuffed animal and said, oh, well, ooh, I hope he doesn't say this in front of anyone else, allow the door to be open for him to uh, use that language toward an actual person. So, one, who is he spending time around? If this isn't language that you think he's gotten from your house or, you know, perhaps that he hasn't gotten from either of his parents, are their grandparents, Are there, you know, older people in your community that he spends time with? Are there other people your age that he spends time with um, that you can't 100% vouch for who who may be using this language with an earshot of him or directly to him unbeknownst to you? You have to go back and make it clear to him um, that this is not something that is to be said and that it's absolutely devastating. And yes, it it sucks and it it, it does not feel good to be splashed with water or to be called, you know, any number of little nasty names that kids use for each other. But Darkie has a, a particular kind of weight, you know, that you told this child that something was wrong with him because he was a black kid. Uh, If you do feel confident or or that there's a possibility that somebody, some other trusted adult has been using this language in front of your child, you have to assess if this is somebody who belongs in their life in the first place, you know, or in the case of, of a grandparent or somebody that it may be harder to say, well, we just don't go over there. We just don't spend time with them that you need to make it clear to them that what that their view of the world is not your own and it is not something that you want your child exposed to. And if they continue to do that, then there will be consequences such as not having access to this child outside of, say, family gatherings. And if you're really about that life, you could say you can't see them then either.
1: I agree with everything you're saying, except that I would bet $1,000 that he has never actually heard anyone use this term. Really? Only just, just because, I mean... Look, I know that that racists are endlessly inventive uh, in their uh, horribleness. But I just agree with you that this that this is just like not in common parlance. That is not I just don't think if you're going to encounter a racial slur out in the wild, I just don't think it's going to be that one. And so, and it just seems like like it's much more likely. That in the way that kids name their stuffed animals, brownie and orangey and yellowy and whatever, he just named a stuffed animal, probably like a Darth Vader or whatever, this name. And then, and so, and so I guess what I, my feeling is the error that the mom made, which as you know was an error, was not that she let someone be around her kid who uses this word, probably, I'd bet. But that when she heard him coin this phrase as far as he knew, she didn't immediately step in and say, hey, I know that you did not mean it in this way. But here's why that word hurts people's feelings. Here's the history behind it. Let's have a broader talk about racism and its effects and talk about why using that word is hurtful. Don't you think that's so much more likely?
3: So if it if it began and ended with the Star Wars toy, you know, and, and the issue was that the toy had been brought out the house and, and he'd used the word publicly and and, you know, in the presence of somebody black or in the presence of, you know, other people outside the family and then there was some pushback or some embarrassment, then I would be more inclined to go with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm thinking I, I, I'm i not a Star Wars person. I'm thinking, OK, well, maybe this was a Darth Vader toy and it really was kind of Darthy, and Darty becomes dark. Like uh, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of all doubt to that, that he knew to call the black kid that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I just is, I that's a lead, you
3: know. That's a leap. And and so I, as someone who won, I have a six year old who makes up words and, and phrases and things and has not landed on anything that sounds like blacky or whitey or orangey or pinky. you know, like Pinkie Pie, because Pinkie Pie is a, a thing that exists in the My Little Pony world. But again, I haven't heard anything that just sounds like that. Not saying it's not possible um but it doesn't ring as likely to me as, as certain other you know offensive words or phrases that kids could act you know quite accidentally come up with but you know even if he did why is a child the one you you didn't name this toy because you you didn't it's not called darky because you don't like it right? right like or or is it you know and, and if that's the case you know as i said before if if it's not a, a distaste for black people, there's a distaste for darkness or blackness, you know, which is certainly, uh, you know, a byproduct or connected to, you know, us living in a white supremacist society that tells us that angel food cake is, is white and devil's food cake is dark. And then all that the Star Wars is characters
1: is... who are good wear white and all the Star Wars characters who are bad wear black.
3: <laughs> exactly. You know, so so there's that. Um, and then I think of the mother and I'm curious, you know, because she says that the kids, you know, basically shook hands and apologized to one another. I wonder if she heard the word at all, you know, because I don't know that... My kid and I would be shaking hands. I'm not saying we're just going to, you know, let's all fight. I'm going to fight. You're going to fight. We're just going to fight together with this other family because they, you know, they called you that word. But I'd want a conversation right then and there with the other parent if I'd heard that. So that does imply the mom did
1: not hear it at all. Yeah,
3: that implies that the mom did not hear it. Um, So now you're stuck with do I just try to do the work of reeducating or, you know, explaining racial slurs to my child in hopes that he never uses one again and we just move on from this or do you wait for when this child you know this little boy says something to his mom you know and it could be months down the line it it could be coming you know black history month the only time they talk about our culture at school and and he's reading something you know and and somebody gets called a a darkie at a lunch counter during a sit-in he's like that's what the little boy at the pool called me So as hard as a conversation as it's going to be, I'd say, one, you and your husband need to identify any possible root causes or culprits. Two, talk to your child. And three, after you've talked to your child, you need to reach out to this woman and say, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. You know, my husband overheard this. We've been struggling to figure out, you know, how best to approach you, you know, how best to address this with our with our child. And also, you know, how best to engage you with this because it is sensitive and it is difficult and it's painful for us. But it's obviously not the same sort of pain um, connected to this language that that you may have experienced. But we just want you to know that in our home, we take this seriously and that we, you know, we're, we apologize unequivocally, um, you know, whether your child hurt it or not. And we're committed to making sure that these things don't happen again.
1: I think that's extremely good advice. And I think in the end, regardless of whether, whether the son has a grandpa somewhere who's using this um, 19th century term uh, or whether he just coined it himself, and it's totally possible that I'm wildly underestimating the possibility that he hurt it somewhere. The fact remains that in that moment, he wanted to lash out against this other kid. And he chose two ways to do it, right? And one was punching, clearly, which is clearly intended to hurt. And the other was using this word, which was also clearly intended to hurt. And so the fact that he, as you say, is using this word to hurt a black kid suggests that regardless of... This mom's good intentions, despite this mom's good intentions and all that she says she is doing, he's definitely already at age five internalized to some extent the idea that black is bad. And that idea is pervasive in the culture. And that's the idea that you're fighting as a parent when you're trying to talk to your kids and teach them about the way the world works. And so that conversation is crucial to have right now. You should have had it already, but it's time to have it now and you just have to be really, really clear. I think – I I know that when my kids were this age, I struggled all the time with this idea that, oh, to have this conversation with them would just be to expose them to so much of the world's evils and why do I want to do that? Uh, and it took me a long time to really understand uh, that that is not my job, like – that my job is to talk through with my kid who is never going to suffer the brunt of those particular evils how they can best avoid doing those evils in the world and what those evils truly are and even at age 5 your kid is capable of understanding these things and you at age whatever you are are capable of initiating and having that conversation so do it
3: absolutely and you know as you continue and perhaps step up your commitment to surrounding this child with, you know, diverse and and positive representations of, of people of color, you know, he should have black heroes, right? Like if he's into science, there are you know, black scientists and astronauts and, and folks that have contributed to those fields that you can buy him biographies of. They sell them at, you know, a whole lot of bookstores and certainly online. If if he's into music, um, then he shouldn't only be listening to, you know, uh, Maddie B. raps on, on YouTube, but actually listening to some kids who, who look like the folks that created the style that Maddie B. has made himself so popular from uh, taking on, you know, that... It, it can't God, just be... If I be, Google Maddie
1: B. Raps, am I going to be so unhappy?
3: Start with Maddie B. Raps, Miss Jackson, <laughs> as in the Outcast song. <laughs> like, you have to start there. And he's like eight years older now. He's like a teenager. But he's like a kid, like a, a little white boy who looked kind of maybe like the youngest child from Home Improvement way back when. And he's singing Miss Jackson by Outcast, And you'll never forget it. It'll stay in, in your mind forever. But he's he's a popular kid and... Bless his little heart, but... That you know, that, that your child needs not just Barack Obama, not just Dr. Martin Luther King. He needs black heroes. And, and if there aren't a lot of black folks in his community that you can point to and say, hey, this person is the city councilman, or this person is the you know, the chief firefighter, or however they bring firefighters, that he's looking at, at people not just from history or, or recent history, but um or I should say not just from history in terms of the civil rights movement or, or you know, during the fight for abolition, but people from the present and, and recent past, who do not look like him, who do cool things that make him feel inspired, not just because they made it in spite of being darkies, but because they are cool or talented or creative or funny or smart and and contribute to our world in some way. And that should be normal to him, that he sees Black folks as people, that he sees not just our plight, uh, not just the animus that folks show toward us, but our humanity.
1: All right. Thank you for writing in with that question. We hope our answers were somewhat useful. Uh, if you have a question that you'd like to send us, send it to slate.com. Let's move on to the part of the show where we recommend things. I call it recommendations. Uh, I will start. Um, I will briefly recommend the thing that I did this weekend, the road trip that I took with Harper. Not just the concept of road trips broadly, but the very specific mode in which we took this road trip, the the way we explicitly laid it out from the very beginning. We were, in fact, inspired by – uh, uh, a woman in the Slate Parenting Facebook group who, several years ago, I think now, posted this idea, this thing that she had done with her kids. Um, and I filed it away and said, Oh, that is extremely cool. And I want to do that. This road trip uh, was a child directed road trip, which is to say, I bought a big old Rand McNally Road Atlas. And we got in the car on Thursday at seven o'clock. And I said to Harper, all right, where are we going? And she, having had been pre- having been prepared for this event, had picked out a way that she wanted us to go. And she could pick out a specific destination. She could just pick out a direction. She could pick out pick out towns she wanted to visit. Whatever. But she was in charge of everywhere we went over the course of this weekend. And so she said, "Go north," because it was like a hundred fucking degrees. And um, I I told her it would be even hotter if we went south. So we just went north and we drove up through Maryland and through the arm of Maryland and then we drove up into Pennsylvania uh, the next day and then we – she found a national forest on the map and then we went there and rode bikes and swam in a river and then she said, what's that city there? And I said – it's Pittsburgh. And she said, let's go there. So we went to Pittsburgh. And then she said, I want to go to a water park. And she found one on the map and then we went to it. And then she steered us back home over the course of Sunday. And so the trip was completely – all decisions were made by her uh, with the exception of the, the, the can I have six desserts. That decision was made by me. But all mm-hmm. other decisions were made by her. She determined where we went and what we did and I completely ceded control of this road trip, uh, as painful as that often was to me, like, for example, the time that we were driving through Western Pennsylvania and we literally drove right past the entrance to falling water, Frank Lloyd Wright's showcase house in the woods in Pennsylvania, which I've never seen before. And I've wanted to visit my whole entire life, but she didn't care about it. And we drove right past it. And I didn't say a fucking word, um, mm-hmm. I I was like a miracle that I managed to pull that off. But anyways, she had the greatest time. She like marked up the map all over with our route. She loved figuring out where we were going to go. She loved solving puzzles. It was like the perfect trip for a kid like her who wishes all the time that she was the one who was making all the decisions. And we – it was great. It was totally delightful. So my recommendation is if you have a weekend free and you don't have any other plans and you have a kid like that who just wishes that he or she was making all the decisions – let them do it and just see where you end up. Probably you'll end up doing a bunch of stuff that sucks. Probably you'll also end up doing a bunch of stuff that's fun, but your kid will love it. So that's my recommendation.
3: Well, that is a great recommendation. I think, Um, of course, I'm struggling with this because I haven't seen my child in so long. It's really only been about a week and a half, but it still feels like it's been very, maybe it's only been a week, but whatever. It feels like a lifetime. Um, But with that, I would like to recommend uh, permissiveness. You know, something a friend said to me the other night was that, you know, when we look back on our lives, you know, we will think of the positive experiences we had, the times that we were happy and felt good and and how people made us feel. And I think of especially, you know, having this period of extended absence from my child, um how we spent our last few weeks together uh, at, with both of us being New Yorkers. and you know, I said yes to the ice cream and yes to the late night movie and and yes to the toy that I probably didn't need to buy her and you know more more yeses than nos. and we created, you know it it, it wasn't on the same scale as a road trip, uh, even though it was a little nostalgia journey through you know the the town where she was born um. But I I think that we were able to create memories that she will keep for a very long time. And even if this had been a regular weekend, you know, um, sometimes it's okay to just give them too much or to do a little bit too much or to ignore, you know, that bedtime is usually 830 or that, you know, you you had something sweet with lunch. So you shouldn't be having dessert tonight and just say, fuck it, man. The world (laughs) is crazy. You know, like there's all types of awful stuff happening, you know, from the change in the climate to the current administration and atrocities that are happening across the world and always have been and, you know, are feeling closer to home uh, for some people than ever. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time we have with our children. And I'd rather create a life for her that is largely defined by good memories um, with her mother than, than one that is... I don't want her to book, look back at our our time together, and hopefully we have many, many more years to to love one another and to learn from one another. But if we don't, I, I would hate for her to look back and, and think of me first as an author, you know some sort of authoritarian or a tyrant or a dictator, you know, and, and that my job was to keep her in check. And, you know, my mama gave me that look. I knew not to do this. You know, I, I just... I'm very anti-carceral parenting, and I'm, you know, somewhere in between rules are important, we need rules, and I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. I found that sweet spot in the middle, <laughs> and <laughs> and I think it's a good place where, you know, if you don't feel comfortable residing there like I do, that you should at least stop by for, you know, maybe a little road trip to the land of permissiveness.
1: Uh I'm very excited to be spending many more podcasts exploring the stark differences in our parenting styles because I love (laughs) being a tyrant. I love saying no. (laughs) Uh, Nothing makes me happier than saying no to some bullshit request my kids made. Oh, man. Oh, no. This is going to be great. Uh, That's a great recommendation. Try a little permissiveness, parents. We could all be underwater five years from now. All right. That is our show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Or email us at at slate.com. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Jamila Lemieux, I'm Dan Kois. Talk to you next time.